I'm Samantha Cole, host of the new season of Understood, The Pornhub Empire. Over the course of four episodes, I'll tell you how a horny YouTube knockoff in Canada came to dominate the porn world, only to shatter their cheeky reputation in a massive scandal. The Pornhub Empire is a new season of Understood from the CBC. Available now wherever you get your podcasts. Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. The views expressed in the following program are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of Saga 960 AM or its management. Seeking truth and justice in a battleground of deception and corruption. This is The Richard Serrett Show. I want all of you to get up out of your chairs. I want you to get up right now and go to the window, open it, stick your head out and yell, I'm as bad as hell. I'm not going to take this anymore! We must not allow ourselves to be intimidated. Our task is not only to win the battle, but to win the war. We're not in Kansas anymore. Take a look at this gun with through her eyes if you really want to see something. You'll see the whole parade of what man's carved out for himself after centuries of fighting. And you will All right. Welcome, welcome. Uh, I mentioned yesterday that beer juggernaut Anheuser-Busch took a uh, big hit this week on its market cap. And uh, I promised to keep an eye on it uh, because... Well, I wanted to see, or I'm hoping to see, the the uh, the old adage, get woke, go broke. It's not that old. It's a kind of a new <laughs> adage. Anyway, get woke, go broke. I wanted to see that actually happens for the uh, king of beers. Of course, they faced a, ma- um, a massive consumer backlash and boycott of their uh, beer products after their Bud Light brand featured a picture of so-called trans activist Dylan Mulvaney on uh, the beer can to commemorate Dylan's first, quote, 365 days of girlhood. And uh, the backlash does not appear to be dwindling. As of yesterday, Wednesday, Anheuser-Busch has fallen 5.02%. Their stock price has fallen 5.02%, and they've lost uh, about $5 billion in market cap. This according to Dow Jones Market Data Group. The stock was 
$8.73 U.S. per share on March 31st and closed Wednesday at $63.38. Anheuser-Busch distributors in rural areas are apparently spooked over widespread backlash to Bud Light against celebrating transgender activist Dylan Mulvaney's 365 days of girlhood with a polarizing promotion, according to trade publication Beer Business Daily. Uh, This is probably the biggest controversy we've seen in a long time, Beer Business Daily editor and publisher Harry Schumacher told Fox News Digital. It could be a tempest in a teapot, could be temporary, but it's enough that distributors have rung the bell. Uh, Beer Business Daily, which targets alcohol industry executives, retailers, distributors, and other key figures, didn't cover the story when it first caused outrage. Schumacher didn't think it was newsworthy at first, noting there's always chit-chat about various brands circulating online. But once the story remained firmly in zeitgeist as Passover and Easter weekend approached and beer distributors throughout the nation expressed concern, he knew beer business daily readers had an interest. There was a little bit of worry, especially in the South and Midwest, and especially in rural areas where retailers were reporting the you know, their customers weren't happy with Bud Light and some retailers themselves weren't happy with Bud Light, Schumacher said. Uh, As the week went on, there were questions within the industry of why Anheuser-Busch would wade into the culture wars with their largest brand, he continued. The simple answer is that I don't think they intended to. There you go. So this uh, backlash not going away. Now, I'm not a fan of boycotts. But this one is easy for me because I don't drink Budweiser or any Anheuser-Busch products. But I am, as I mentioned yesterday, a fan of buy cots. You buy in. Find a beer company whose values align with your own and buy that brand. In the meantime, uh, I'll continue to follow the stock price of Anheuser-Busch. Today is uh, International Day of Pink a worldwide anti-bullying and anti-homophobia event, which is held uh, during the second week of April, not to be confused with Pink Shirt Day that also seeks to eradicate all bullying everywhere in the world, Uh, everywhere except, it seems, inside woke public schools where apparently students who don't get on side and wear pink or declare their pronouns will be bullied and intimidated by their teachers and peers. Irony. So uh, here's an email that was sent out to teachers at one Toronto District School Board high school today, advising them to, quote, reintroduce themselves to their class, share their name and pronouns, and to invite students to do the same for hashtag International Day of Pink. Here's the actual email. One, practice a pronoun refresher. Take the time tomorrow to reintroduce yourself to your students with your name and pronouns. Example, good morning, class. As we, part, uh, as we are partway through the semester, it's a great time to reintroduce ourselves with our names and pronouns. I will start. My name is Miss Krabappel, uh, and I use she, her pronouns. Then go around the room and invite your students to do the same. A more discreet alternative could be to have the students make name tags, including their pronouns, or to have them write an exit ticket 
that is collected that includes their name and pronouns. And then they anticipate possible questions from teachers in this instructional email. What do I do if a student refuses to share their pronouns? While this student may hold homophobic, transphobic beliefs, they may also be showing internalized homophobia, transphobia. If they choose not to share, that's okay. They may be questioning their identity or their beliefs. As long as they are passing respectively, respectfully, this is okay. Oh, it's okay. It's okay. But the email states that the student who refuses to participate in this delusion uh, very well could be transphobic. But no pressure. No bullying here, folks, right? Put on the pink T-shirt. Give me your pronouns or else, bigot. I mean, this is happening in your son or daughter's school. Are you okay with this? Coming up uh, later on the show, True North journalist Harrison Faulkner will be here, and he's going to discuss another LGBTQ event, this one at York Mills Collegiate Institute in Toronto. Harrison writes, despite what radical LGBTQ activists and the legacy media claim, many Canadians are very uncomfortable with drag queens dancing in front of students. This was clear today in Toronto as students protested a drag queen event following the York Mills Collegiate Institute's decision to host a drag queen event in front of a select number of students. A group of students organized a protest against the event on Wednesday afternoon. The protest was organized by Save Canada, a nonprofit organization that is opposed to radical gender ideology in Canadian schools. Protest organizer Josh Alexander, yes, the same Josh Alexander, very courageous young man, standing up for his uh, fellow female students at a um, Ottawa uh, school board or at an Ottawa high school, Catholic high school. Anyway, Josh Alexander was the protest organizer, and he said his organization takes issues with the fact that kids are being indoctrinated in the education system with gender ideology. None of this changes until we vote to get rid of these insane, unhinged, delusional, radical, progressive school trustees. Nothing will change. Uh, In the meantime, if it is within your power, if you possibly can, take your children out of the public school system and homeschool them. Remember, there is no one more qualified to teach your children than you. Coming up on the show today, the uh, Menzoid... David Menzies, Rebel News Mission Specialist, will be here. Last order of business with a very interesting update on the continuing saga of former Oakville High School teacher Kayla Lemieux, uh, the so-called, well, he is a woodworking teacher uh, who taught young impressionable minds while dressed as a woman, complete with size Z prosthetic breasts. And Lemieux was busted by the uh, New York Post a couple of months ago when a a photographer caught Lemieux. um, Well, they caught him dressed in in normal male street uh, street clothes, street attire. And remember, Lemieux claims that his size Z breasts are real. Anyway, he was caught walking around Burlington in regular male attire without the breasts. And then when he was confronted later, I guess over the phone, Lemieux claimed the man in the picture wasn't him. And then he doubled down in insisting he has this rare condition that caused his breasts to grow 
to an enormous size starting when he was 39 years old. And uh, Lemieux has since been relieved of his teaching duties at Trafalgar High School in Oakville. I believe he's placed on paid leave. Anyway, we have an update. We have an update, and the Menzoid from Rebel News will be here. Again, last order of business, hour two. Harrison Faulkner from True North, as I mentioned, on that student uh, protest. The, uh, the drag queen show at York Mills Collegiate Institute in Toronto. Lieutenant Colonel Bob McGinnis, U.S. Army retired, will be here second hour on the leaked Pentagon document, which shows the, uh, the war in Ukraine not going nearly as well as we've been led to believe by, uh, well, the Biden administration, NATO, NATO members, and, of course, the mainstream media. Turns out the United States has been spying on Zelensky. They don't trust him. What do you mean? Wait a minute. Wait a minute. This guy walks on water. What are you saying? We don't trust him. We're spying on him. Also, the um, the casualty level. The uh, Ukrainians suffering casualty, a casualty rate four times greater than than, than the Russians. About 71,000 Ukrainians dead, about 17,000 Russians dead. Not going as well as we've been told. Plus, the Ukrainians are running out of ammunition. But we'll get to that uh, again. Hour two, Lieutenant Colonel Bob McGinnis, U.S. Army, retired. Amy Eileen Hamm will be here. She's a uh, a nurse in British Columbia who is essentially on trial before the B.C. College of Nurses for saying that biological sex is real. Yeah, that's right. It's happening in this country in 2023. She could lose her license to nurse. Anyway, she'll be here in our uh, In Defense of Women segment. Jay Goldberg from the Canadian Taxpayers Federation is keeping an eye on your money. He'll be here this hour. But first, uh, yesterday I spoke with Toronto mayoral candidate Nia Singh. And um, he's opposed to bringing back uh, carding and street checks. And uh, he says they don't work. I'm going to speak with crime specialist Ross McLean next and get his thoughts. The Richard Serrett Show, off and running for Thursday, April the 13th, 2023. Facta non verba. We're back as The Richard Serrett Show continues on News Talk, Saga 960 AM. Uh, yesterday on the program, I spoke with Toronto mayoral candidate Nia Singh, very thoughtful, accomplished young man. Uh, born in Toronto to Indo-Guyanese and Afro-Bermudian parents and uh, got his law degree at Osgood Hall. And while he was uh, with the Osgood or, or uh, law school, he co-founded uh, something called the Osgood Society Against Institutional Injustice. And uh, that organization was apparently instrumental in challenging carding and arbitrary detention, which I would imagine would include street checks. And so we had a, 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 a very thoughtful discussion about reducing crime in the city. And I thought he came forward with some some good ideas in terms of um, reducing crime on the TTC. Uh, I don't agree with uh, everything he said, obviously, but I did ask him directly about his thoughts on carding and street checks. And, of course, he was opposed, um, as I mentioned, um, although the data, I don't know, it seems to me to be pretty clear on this. But I thought I would uh, I would bring our uh, crime specialist, uh, Ross McLean, onto the program and uh, get his thoughts. Uh, Ross is a, a former Toronto police investigator, and you can follow him on Twitter at Ross McLean, S-E-C, at Ross McLean, M-C-L-E-A-N, S-E-C. Ross, welcome back. How are you? Oh, um, 
Are you there? Not hearing Ross. There you are. Can you hear me, Ross? Yeah, I've got you there, Richard. Just Excellent. seconds or so. Okay. Um, so I wanted to um, get your thoughts uh, on there's kind of a discrepancy between what I heard yesterday from uh, Toronto mayoral candidate Nia Singh and what I've always you know, uh, believed regarding carding and street checks. So they were kind of abandoned, uh, my understanding is, in 2014. Um, and they were supposed to be, I guess, revised. But the Liberal government at the time, they just never bothered to do anything more. And so it just kind of fell by the wayside. What what is what is the data tell us about carding and street checks and their effect on violent crime? Yeah, there's a couple of things there. Number one, uh, you you mentioned uh, Nia Singh. He is a gentleman. He's a fine man. I've I've dealt with him before. Sometimes I think I might have debated him once or twice. He certainly is a gentleman, and he certainly is thoughtful uh, about what he's doing. So it's it's nice to have different voices in the race. But I, I will say this, though, his take on crime and how crime is reduced and the issues with it, uh, I find is just doesn't doesn't add up. And, you know, when he states that, uh, you know, he had a bunch of statements there that carding never solved anything and never did anything. Well, that, that's just not the truth. I can tell you from the inside and I've been covering this issue for a long time about how it's done. And I've interviewed top homicide detectives. I've interviewed chiefs of police. I've interviewed former chiefs of police. And just about every one of them will tell you that in the day, there wasn't hardly any homicide or major crime that wasn't solved without consulting the carding database to find associations and people and what you were looking for. I mean, that's sort of the overarching uh, talk about it. But what I, what I found interesting with your interview with him, and I did listen to the interview, uh, the interesting thing was he thought that carding was an invasive thing that shouldn't be done. Yet when you asked him about problems on the TTC, he thought it would be good if people would go up and down the TTC and look at people and decide if they're fit to ride or not. That's an excellent point. Look, yes. They didn't look like they were fit to ride. Well, maybe we should find out who they are or get them some help or maybe get them off the TTC. So, He's really all for identifying people that are problems and trying to get help to them. He just doesn't want it to be the police when they're dealing with it. You know, and, you know, the interventions, the idea that the TTC workers should be going up and looking at people and deciding if they're fit to ride. I'm sure their association would have a problem with that. It can be very dangerous. Look, we've had TTC operators shot, blinded, stabbed murdered uh, in the past in dealing with people. And these, these they're not trained for that. That's not what they're there to do. So that's a bit of a dangerous proposition. And I'll just bring the uh, one other yeah. uh, contradiction that he made. He gave the, he gave the uh, story of being involved with a young girl who had a very hard life, father murdered, mother drug addict, in school, not the right resources, and she needed help. And he said what she needed was someone to intervene in her life to help get her life back on track. Well, look, when your life is going so far off track, you're committing criminal offenses or things like that, and it's the police that are there, they're the correct ones to intervene and to help and to get help. And he had some good suggestions around there, which I'll talk about a bit more, but those are my thoughts for the moment, Richard. 
Excellent. All right, Ross, we'll take a quick time out, come back and uh, discuss further uh, carding, street checks and other uh, matters relating to crime. Ross McLean, crime specialist, former Toronto police investigator. Again, follow him on Twitter at Ross McLean, S-E-C. Back with more of our conversation in three minutes. Let's get back at it on Newstalk Saga 960 AM. It's the Richard Serrett Show. Welcome back. Let me just uh, throw some figures at you. And this uh, comes from a 2021 uh, column from uh, Lori Goldstein with the Toronto Sun. And um, Hall of Famer, News Hall of Famer, Lori Goldstein, I might add. Um, talking about the, uh, the the data on carding and street checks. And um, from 2005 in the wake of what had become known as Toronto's infamous summer of the gun, they, um, they instituted, or I should say not instituted, they increased, they had already been around, but they increased street checks and created the anti-Toronto or sorry, the Toronto anti-violence intervention strategy. And for the next nine years until 2014, after which both initiatives were initially cut back and then scrapped, the number of people wounded and killed by gunfire dropped by 55%. From 231 in 2005 to 103 in 2014. And then since 2014, the reverse has happened. Uh, In 2020, despite numerous pandemic lockdowns, shootings and firearm discharges in Toronto were up 161% compared to 2014. From 177 then in 2014 to 462 in 2020. Injuries and deaths from shootings were up 111% from 103 in 2014 to 217 last year. I don't have uh, more recent statistics, but uh, anyway, Ross McLean is with us, crime specialist, uh, former Toronto uh, police investigator. Um, Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. One of the charges was the reason that it was abandoned was that it was rife for abuse, indiscriminate carding. Uh, and and Nia Singh indicated, he said, listen, carding has been around a long time. It didn't start in 2005. And he said that he had been carded or street checked numerous times. He had a thick file. And uh, and I have no reason to doubt him. He's, he seems like a very honorable person. Ross, would you... Would you concur that the that indis, that there was indiscriminate carding and 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 that that it's rife for abuse? Uh, no, that not to say that that can't happen. But look, this all came out as a result of the Toronto Star investigative reporters went and got a bunch of data, analyzed it themselves, and then cherry picked and moved the data around so it sounded horrendous. 
And uh, if you go look at the original study, I, I looked at their original study that they based their articles on. And the first uh, on the first page of it is a whole pile of disclaimers. This is not a peer reviewed article. It's not scientific. The data is not all complete. So this may not all be right. And they cherry picked areas like uh, a very rich, rich part of Toronto, the down in the York Mills Hollow down there. It's a dead-end neighborhood that no one goes into unless you have a Mercedes or a Rolls-Royce or you've been invited to your president's party somewhere down there. So one year, nobody was carded, and the next year, three people were carded, and and I think they were black. So it was, oh, it's a 300% increase in carding, only on black people. And so they, they did their best to misrepresent the stats on that. Uh, but look, can it be abused? Yeah, sure, it can be abused. And if it is, I think whoever abuses it should be tried for it and hung out to dry. And, you know, these days, Richard, in the last 10, 15 years, the Toronto police force in particular is so diverse. Uh, any copper who started acting racist would probably get thumped out by the other coppers uh, in the lunchroom. You don't you don't want to work with people who are racist because you're dealing with people all day long and your partners are a different stuff. So. I think it's a bit overblown to that end, but, and, you know, today it's almost a moot point. You're carded everywhere that you go. The police all wear body cams. There's cameras on the streets. Um, I look, I had to call 911 the other day to help with a person that was in crisis. They wanted my name, my date of birth and where I left or where I lived before they would come help. me. Right. So that goes into a police record database. I mean, everybody is being over surveilled these days. It's a question of it's being used and used fairly and being accessed fairly, which That's I think it should be. Right. That's an excellent point. So um, now we're seeing apparently uh, gun violence is down, but now we're seeing, of course, a spate of knife violence. We're seeing people knifed indiscriminately. And so I don't know whether we can say whether whether violence on the streets of Toronto are up. It certainly seems that way. But there's been a number of high profile, you know, shocking uh, cases recently. Um, So how do we how do we bring back or do we bring back carding and street checks and, and, you know, should it be focused in certain neighborhoods and how do we do this and balance, you know, the rights and so forth of, of uh, individuals? Well, let me tell you something. I'm going to agree with Nia Singh on this point. He brought up the idea that if the police, well, he doesn't want the police to do it, but if somebody gets involved with the street person and they see that they're in, in serious need of some sorts of help, that we should have a system hooked up to direct those people to get their help. Right. So the Hamilton to police department won a, a nationwide award for having a program like that, where they and the paramedics, when they came across someone who was in distress, they would direct them to the right welfare office, counselor, addiction person, or something like that. They would do that. And I think that the police should be doing that. You know, to that end, our TTC problem and much of our stabbing and shooting and mugging problems in Toronto stems from drug abuse and illicit drugs and the fact that our city has been supporting that drug abuse by giving people safe injection sites, helping they can do it. I mean, in B.C., they're giving them heroin and, and everything else. Uh, to do it. So another another mayor, mayoral candidate there, Anthony Fury, he announced the other day he wants to end all the support of making it easy for people to use drugs. And he wants them to go get an intervention and go get treatment. And all I Richard, all I can say is if I had somebody that I loved and I cared about and they were in that sort of situation, 
Would I rather that they come to me and I'd say, well, here's the money to buy your drugs tonight, but buy it safe? Or would I rather get their behind into some counseling and try and save the rest of their life? How how would you treat someone if you loved and cared about them? I don't think you'd say, oh, let's support the habit and, oh, reduce the harm. We don't want to. No, go solve the problem. So I kind of like that approach of getting help. And the province has to step up here. You know, they have an associate minister of mental health under the Ministry of Health. Yes. That, That should be a full ministry. That should be a full ministry with funding that deals with all the addiction problems, all the mental health problems, because that's what's spilling onto our streets today and causing so much trouble. That needs to be a full ministry. I agree with you, Ross. Uh, I'm going to get Anthony Fury back on. We've had him on a couple of times since he, uh, well, once when he was seriously thinking about it, and then a second time after he formally announced, and I did see his video uh, today. Uh, I guess, you know, he wants to to give doctors who have this ability, I think it's called a form, is it called form one, a form one or a yeah, form two? Yeah, you can take people and get them help. But, but the ministry, the province, this is where Anthony is going to have his work cut out for him, but he's the guy to do it because he's he's determined. The province has to start funding and helping these people with the mental health. They don't. What they do now is they give them drugs and kick them back out. Yes. You know, if you follow the uh, uh, the Toronto police uh, uh, Twitter file, you'll see all the all the time. Oh, so and so missing, and it's always uh, where where a hospital's at and where the mental hospital is at, and all this. And these are all people that they just let go, and they're not able to look after themselves. And there's such a need for the funding for mental health and addictions. Richard, I I would not wish on my worst enemy to be so addicted to a drug that you're just going to end your life. You'll you'll do crimes. You 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 have to steal to get more of the drugs and you're just a write off. I wouldn't wish that on my worst enemy. No, well, there's been this huge experiment to deinstitutionalize, and we obviously we need to revisit that that strategy and and maybe uh, you know slam the brakes on and and put it in reverse and go the opposite way. Uh, Ross, always appreciate your insights. Thank you so much. Thanks, Richard. Ross McLean, crime specialist. Follow him on Twitter at Ross McLean SEC. All right, when we come back, Jay Goldberg, Canadian Taxpayers Federation, is keeping an eye on your money. Stay with us. Listening to the Richard Serrett Show on Newstalk Saga, 960 AM. You'll forgive me if I don't think about monetary policy. The budget will balance itself. The fastest rising interest rates in 30 years. Fastest inflation in four decades. When will the government realize that Canadians are out of money and the party's over? Keeping an eye on your money, not just uh, at the federal level and the provincial level, but also at the municipal level. And uh, Jay Goldberg, Ontario and Interim Atlantic Director of the Canadian Taxpayers Federation, is sounding the alarms and imploring, uh, what is there now, 30 Toronto mayoral candidates, uh, is imploring them to pledge to cut spending and keep property tax hikes down. And Jay joins us right now. Hey, Jay, how are you? Very well. How are you? Very well. Uh, I think I've lost count. I think it's around 30 candidates now have declared. Uh, Have you heard any? uh, Are there any candidates who are talking about uh, cutting the fat, reducing um, expenditures, uh, keeping a lid on tax hikes? Actually, so earlier today, I spoke with uh, Anthony Fury, who, you know, was uh, a columnist at the Toronto Sun, uh, opinion editor at one point, and uh, yeah, he's pretty serious about uh, wanting to trim back spending. He's talking about uh, certainly no new taxes. Uh, so that's promising. But I have to say for sure, some of the leading candidates we know 
For example, Josh Mallow is one of the leading candidates. He's proposing to raise property taxes by $400 million over the next five years. Uh, and this is over and above John Tory's insane 7% property tax hike. And of course, in the Toronto Sun piece that I was referring to, uh, that I wrote and was put out yesterday, I note that John Tory increased spending after accounting for inflation by 35% during his time in office. And yet everybody's falling all over themselves saying we've got to spend more than Tory. Right. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned Josh Matlow, Councillor Matlow. Uh, what did he refer to John Tory as a penny pincher? <laughs> yes. Uh, so now uh, explain this to me, because municipal governments, uh, they can't run deficits um, except well, with their operational budget. What about with their capital budget? I mean, no, everyone focuses on the operational budget. What about the capital budget? They can run capital deficits. And so actually, under John Tory's watch, Toronto's debt has gone up by billions and billions of dollars. Toronto actually has a fair amount of debt now, somewhere near $10 billion in, in capital borrowing. And I think that's something that's not talked about enough. Uh, because, you know, when you look at budgets at the provincial or federal level, of course, capital spending's factored in. Not the case with the cities. And so Toronto's actually fairly in debt. Uh, and as we all know, at every level and, uh, you know, when we're paying our credit card bills and our, our car loans, uh, interest rates are going up. And so is the amount that Toronto has to pay on all of its debt. So that's just one more thing to factor in here. But, you know, most of these candidates don't seem at all concerned with that. And they seem to want to raise taxes even further and spend even more money. Um, the the uh, gentleman that ran second to Tory in the last municipal election, uh, Gil Penalosa, um, he's also promising higher taxes? Yes. Uh, he claims that Toronto's property taxes are in the low end, and he wants to bring them to the middle end. Now, the only reason you could possibly say property taxes in Toronto are at the low end is if you're just looking at the percentage uh, that, that people are charged uh, when they're paying their taxes. But look, home property values have skyrocketed in Toronto. And so if you're looking at, at a home in Toronto versus a home in, you know, uh, Brantford, where I am or somewhere else, uh, it's not directly computable. You look, you look at, uh, for example, seniors on fixed income. So all of a sudden, own a home that they paid $200,000 for, but it's worth over a million dollars. And so their property tax bill is astronomical and they can't afford all these increases. So, you know, the way these candidates talk about it, it's as if, uh, you know, everyone who owns a home could, could be able to sell it right now or has the amount of money that's the equivalent to the assessed value. And that's just not the case in Toronto. Uh, and so that's the problem with all these proposals to raise property taxes. So we're looking at a budget shortfall. Again, we're talking about an operational budget here uh, of just under a billion dollars, nine hundred and thirty three million. You say that that's that would be pretty easy to, um, uh, you know, to to bridge that gap. How would you do it? Well, you know, we've got Deputy Mayor McKelvey, who's now in charge after Tories left, but also former Mayor John Tory saying this was going to be basically an apocalypse if we have to cut this budget. Uh, saying that, you know, this is a COVID hangover. We have to get the problems to pay for it. We have to get the feds to pay for it. Well, look, people who are outside the city of Toronto don't want to have to pay for all the extra spending that Toronto went through. And actually, if you look at Tory's budget from this year, it increased spending so much that if you just went to last year's budget and spent the same amount as last year, Toronto's entire $1 billion shortfall would be eliminated. Yeah, just like that. With a snap, it's gone. And so, uh, you know, I, I don't think people talk enough about the fact 
of how much spending has gone up, particularly this year. This was a huge budget increase, more than 15% increase in spending. So if we just go back to last year, Toronto can balance the books. And you know what? They don't have to go cap in hand to the province or the feds to ask for a bailout. And uh, as you point out in your article, Jay, they could save another $300 million. That was the uh, the cost of their bid to host a couple of World uh, Cup games in 2026. $300 million. Three hundred million, and originally the the game number was five. Now it's about seven. So you're looking at five hundred thousand dollars for every minute people are playing soccer uh, on the field at BMO Field in Toronto. It is a total waste of money. Uh, you know, if we were perhaps hosting dozens of games, perhaps maybe you could start looking at the economic feasibility of it. But the idea that we're going to host seven games and you know, throw away $300 million to do it. It's a total waste of money. And again, that's a a very easy way you could give a lot of money back to the people of Toronto and taxpayers. All right. Anthony, uh, Anthony, (laughs) I was was just about to ask you, I don't, uh, but I shouldn't, I was going to ask whether the Canadian Taxpayers Federation, do you endorse municipal candidates? Officially, We haven't endorsed anyone, but I can say that anyone that's running on a platform to keep taxes low and to rein in city spending is going to get a thumbs up from me. All right. That would be Anthony Fury. He seems like he's one of the list for sure. There you go. All right. Jay, thank you so much, as always. Take care. Jay Goldberg, Ontario and Interim Atlantic Director of the Canadian Taxpayers Federation, taxpayer.com, taxpayer.com. When we come back, in defense of women. Stay with us. Back to the conversation on The Richard Serrett Show. News Talk, Saga, 960 AM. Welcome back. Every Thursday at this time, we stand in defense of women and a um, B.C. nurses contract for the uh, province's 50,000 registered nurses enforces racial discrimination, gives the trans persons special benefits and requires acceptance of gender Self-identification, all this according to Amy Eileen Ham, who is a founding member of COSBAR and a regular contributor to the post-millennial, also a registered nurse in B.C., who, by the by, is uh, currently before a disciplinary hearing um, by the College of B.C. Nurses for simply affirming that biological sex is real. Amy, welcome back. How are you? Hi, I'm well. Thank you so much for having me back. It's been a while. It has been a while, and I know you've been... um, uh, obviously, um, under a great deal of strain with this um, with this BC uh, nurse uh, College of Nurses um, hearing. Um, before we get into this um, this new contract that uh, BC nurses are being asked to ratify, this new em- employment contract, do you, are there any updates? Are you at liberty to talk about the uh, the hearing at all? I'm not at liberty to say a lot of what's going on, but for right now, it's on hiatus until the end of September. So it's it's almost nine months in between hearing dates for what at this point it will go up to 19 days in hearing um, because I've stated repeatedly that men and women can't change their sex. Unbelievable. 
unbelievable. All right. So let's get back to this. Um, 50,000 nurses in BC are being asked to ratify this new employment contract. And um, basically, you're saying that it is um, enforcing racial discrimination. Explain. It is. So there. it's hard to know where to start with this, but I think one of the most shocking parts of this new proposed contract is that employers will have the ability to have two candidates if one person is less qualified, doesn't have the same experience or education, um, but they're Indigenous, the employer is allowed to hire that person rather than someone who holds seniority, experience, education, credentials. Um, All they have to do is say, we felt that it was important to have an Indigenous person in this role, which is leadership or mentorship. There are some other reasons that you can do it too, but that is pretty much a blank check to just hire anyone um, that you want, as long as they identify as Indigenous and no matter how skilled or experienced they are. So uh, we're talking about nurses here. Uh, So the employer has the right to hire not on merit, not on skills, life-saving skills, but basically based on the, the, uh, the color of their skin. Yes, (laughs) Yes, <laughs> exactly. Um, it's it sounds completely outrageous because it is, and uh, you know, a, a lot of people might hear that and think it's. I'm only talking about discrimination against white people. I'm not like this is also going to be discriminatory against other minority groups that are also, you know, according to our union and health authorities, are underrepresented in um, in our staff population. All right. So let's uh, talk about uh, transgender identified people Uh, under this new contract. They would be given additional what sick time. Yes. So any someone who identifies as transgender will now, in addition to all of the other leaves that every other nurse is entitled to get eight paid weeks of um, medical leave for, quote unquote, gender affirming care. Um, not that's not specified. So, you know, I think it could be anything, hair removal, uh, up to surgeries, but as, as I'm sure we'll get into the health authority or sorry, rather the, um, unions have no expectation that someone who is trans put any effort into actually, um, physically transing themselves whatsoever. Um, and then the other, uh, the other issue with this contract is that, um, someone who self-identifies um, as a woman, mm-hmm. even, if they're, even if they're they've not undergone any you know hormone therapy or any surgery or any anything, they could simply self-identify and uh, have access to uh, women's bathrooms and change rooms and so forth. Yes. Um, so anyone the. Language in the contract says there anyone is allowed to use the washroom or change room um, that aligns with their quote lived gender, and there's no definition as to what that means. It, I mean, frankly, it's nonsensical. And um, in addition to being told that they can do that, the employers will also be forced to put up signage about quote unquote diverse genders. Again, who even knows what that means being welcome into whichever spaces they feel they fit within. So 
I mean, you, the, the 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 union representing the fifty thousand nurses in British Columbia uh, shouldn't they be fighting for for your rights? I mean, why are they taking this activist role? That is a question that I've been asking for quite some time. I also mentioned in my article um, last year, I was calling them out because they also encouraged Justin Trudeau's government on behalf of their members, um, which definitely not me, uh, to pass the conversion therapy bill, which. Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. Makes it, and now it is illegal for healthcare professionals, including nurses in Canada, to not immediately affirm the stated gender of a patient. So if a two-year-old came into the hospital, a two-year-old boy saying, I'm a girl, you could go to prison as a nurse or a doctor if you didn't go along with that. My word. It's uh, it's just taking it to a whole new level of crazy. Just when you think, uh, you know, we've, we've hit bottom, we haven't. Um, Amy, um, I want to wish you the best. Well, uh, hopefully we'll speak again before the uh, the BC nurses uh, college hearing resumes in September. But um, uh, yes. a little bit of time off away from it and uh, uh, continued um, best wishes to you. And thank you so much for your time. Thanks. Can I just say, if you know any BC nurses, tell them to not ratify this contract. There you go. Good advice. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Amy Eileen Ham, founding member of COSBAR, regular contributor to the Post Millennial. And uh, we will be back with Hour 2 coming your way with Lieutenant Colonel Bob McGinnis, U.S. Army retired. We'll talk about that leaked Pentagon uh, document. And uh, also Harrison Faulkner, host of Ratioed and co-host of Fake News Friday on uh, True North, TNC.News, will be here. We'll talk about the uh, Canadian students rejecting drag queen events at a high school in Toronto. And uh, the Menzoid, David Menzies from Rebel News, will be here with an update on uh, the saga of Busty Lemieux. All of that coming your way in two minutes. Seeking truth and justice in a battleground of deception and corruption. This is The Richard Serrett Show. I want all of you to get up out of your chairs. I want you to get up right now and go to the window, open it, and stick your head out and yell, I'm as bad as hell and I'm not going to take this anymore. We must not allow ourselves to be intimidated. Our task is not only to win the battle, but to win the war. Meaning we're not in 
Welcome to Hour 2 of The Richard Serrett Show. If you missed Hour 1, you missed a lot, but don't despair. Still plenty of great programming coming your way, including, well, last order of business. The one and only Menzoid, David Menzies, will be here from Rebel News, and uh, we'll get you an update on the uh, the saga of Kayla Lemieux. This is the controversial um, woodworking teacher formerly employed at the Trafalgar High School in Oakville, uh, who uh, basically taught class in front of young impressionable minds, wearing a uh, a wig, a uh, a tight leather mini skirt, and novelty size uh, prosthetic breasts. And uh, Kayla Lemieux has been uh, basically exposed as a um, well. We'll get you that detail. I'm not going to give it all away. <laughs> Uh, we'll also check in with Harrison Faulkner, the host of Ratioed and co-host of Fake News Friday from True North. And uh, he'll be here to talk about Canadian students at uh, one high school in Toronto rejecting a drag queen event. Protesting. Uh, right now, though, there's a, been a series of documents purporting to contain highly classified Pentagon intelligence Related to the Ukraine war and information gathering on close U.S. allies, it's emerged online in recent weeks. And now a uh, a 21-year-old U.S. Air Force National Guard member in Massachusetts has been arrested over the leak. And here with more is Lieutenant Colonel Bob McGinnis, U.S. Army retired, a military analyst and author of Kings of the East, China's plan to eliminate America and impose a communist world order and give me liberty, not Marxism. Bob, welcome back. How are you? I'm doing well, Richard. Thanks for having me. Um, how damaging um, are these leaks? Because uh, I would ha- I would have to think very embarrassing for uh, the the Biden administration, because one of the things that was re- revealed and we'll get to Ukraine in a moment, but also the U.S. spying on a pretty close ally, South Korea. How, do, how will the South Koreans react? Is, do they take this kind of stuff in stride? Yeah, I think so. Um, you know, in the world of diplomacy and military to military, we have uh, what we call attaches in every embassy. Uh, Canada has them in every most embassies as well. And those people are, are really um, spies with covers. In other words, uh, uh, they're collecting information about uh, the military of that country in which they are, are working. Now, not all of them, though, are spies they're they work for the defense intelligence agency but other members of those cadre are there for security of the embassy and also for sales of military equipment certainly in our case we have security cooperation officers and teams that are interfacing with the ministry of defense and of that country and they're trying to make you know sales of equipment which keeps our industry going and so forth but in this particular case you have Evidently, um, you know, uh, the release of 
to be determined uh, classified materials that uh, obviously this guy had access to. He worked in probably uh, as a National Guardsman in a skiff or a sensitive compartmented information facility where you're not supposed to have phones, you're not supposed to have any recording device, you're not supposed to take things out, but evidently he did, uh, if that ends up being the case. And, you know, the materials that were released, of course, include uh, at least what's publicized, maps, uh, numbers of weapons. Uh, What it doesn't include are war plans, which, of course, uh, would be sensitive and something of of great concern. Uh, What we look for, especially if you know, intelligence documents are released, and allegedly some of these are, uh, we're looking to see whether or not they compromised our collection capabilities, our sources, our methods, uh, our strategy, and so forth. And, you know, it's it's a bit early. Certainly, I haven't seen those documents, and, you know, we'll have to wait and see what the courts uh, eventually charge him with. Uh, at this point, it looks as if the removal of classified national defense information is the preliminary charge, but uh, no doubt, as we've seen similar cases in the past, more will follow. The um, One of the documents uh, supposedly shows that the U.S. was spying on Ukrainian President Zelensky. I mean, we're, we thought this guy walked on water, according to the mainstream media. Does this mean that the U.S. government didn't perhaps trust Zelensky? Maybe they were fearful. What would he do if uh, if the United States, you know, gave into some of his demands and provided him with missiles that he might, you know, further provoke the Russians? Well, you know, Richard, it really depends upon what we mean by spying. You know, you can read a newspaper and come to your own assessment. You can, you know, be in meetings with someone and write notes about what you, what you saw. Uh and what are the, the intelligence agencies of any country will do, they'll take bits and pieces of information, collect it, and present a picture. You know, and of course, you know, every military will try to you know, understand the uh, kind of who this senior leader is on the other side, whether it's a military man or the president of a country, the prime minister. And they'll make assessments. Certainly the Central Intelligence Agency will, you know, try to dig down and and collect all sorts of information about someone. You know, the idea that, quote, we're spying uh, on Zelensky, you know, no doubt we have people at the embassy there in Kiev that uh, watch his every move, that try to understand his, you know, desires, what he is trying to do with regard to his forces. Uh, and then they're they're just creating an impression and an idea. Uh, so I don't think we necessarily, you know, the implication is that we we have someone that's tailing him wherever he goes. Well, you know, all modern nations have all sorts of sensors. They have ways of monitoring what they say through various mechanisms. They watch from the skies, and then of course human intelligence. So they're collecting. Yeah, you know, everybody collects, unfortunately, and that's just the nature of the modern world that is filled with millions and millions of sensors that goes on all the time. So I don't think there's a single nation out there that I'm aware of uh, that sits back fat, dumb and happy and doesn't consider what the other person is thinking and doing and then begin to make some sort of assessment as to what they are uh, intending to do in the future.
I guess that old saying is true. Nations don't have friends. They have interests. Well, of course. And, and, you know, I think certainly our interest is that we don't want the Russians overrunning Ukraine, much less Western Europe. Um, And if there's some indicator that uh, the weapons that the United States, many billions of dollars has provided to Zelensky are not being used appropriately, then uh, the leaders of the United States ought to be aware of that and reports have to be rendered. And and that's pretty consistent uh, with any nation's interest. Now, the fact that... Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. Yeah, you know, we would be allegedly you know, monitoring what... Uh, the South Koreans were doing well, you know, you know, clearly we watch what every nation is doing uh, to protect our own interest. And if they're going uh, askance at what is in our best interest, our political leaders need to be aware of that. But that's just the nature of the intelligence business. They have to keep the, the senior leaders informed. Lieutenant Colonel Bob McGinnis, U.S. Army retired and author of Kings of the East, China's plan to eliminate America and impose a communist world order. We'll take a quick time out, come back and continue to delve into the leaked Pentagon documents. Back with more in a moment. Welcome back to the Richard Serrett Show on News Talk Saga 960 AM. And we are back with Lieutenant Colonel Bob McGinnis, U.S. Army retired author of Kings of the East. And we're talking about the leaked Pentagon documents and uh, an arrest has been made, a 21-year-old Air National Guardsman in Massachusetts uh, responsible allegedly for uh, the leak of anywhere between 50 and 100 pages of uh, classified information, uh, much of it pertaining to the war in Ukraine. One of the other um, bombshells, I guess, if I can use that, uh, is that uh, confirming that there are up to uh, 100 U.S. special forces on the ground in in Ukraine. Your your thoughts on that, Bob? Yeah, I, yeah, I've seen the BBC reports on that and the allegations that that's taking place. You know, the, the Defense Department, Richard, will not confirm or deny you know, what its special forces do around the world. You know, there in Canada, you have special forces. Every nation has special forces, and they're special because we don't talk about them. Um, would they be on the ground? Is it possible? Of course it's possible. Keep in mind what special forces do. Uh, they not only go into uh, places without, you know, leaving much of a footprint to do, you know, the bidding of their government, uh, but they also train and they advise and they provide communications for uh, a partner country or 
a an element of a country that that particular nation supports. So it is very clandestine, and that's the nature of most special operations forces. So, you know, if you're sitting back and you're wondering, well, would special operations forces be involved in Ukraine? You know, I don't know one way or another because I haven't seen that particular data. I've seen what the media is saying. Uh, But it it would be unusual not to have something uh, of a special operations force presence in in that sort of environment. There certainly we have people all over Africa, all over the Middle East, Asia and so forth. And they're doing uh, very low key behind the scenes types of things that are of interest to the national leadership. And every nation does it. And they do it just like, you know, those Air to th- our attaches in those embassies are collecting on the nation in which they happen to reside. So that's the nature of the cat and mouse games that we play around the world. Hypothetically, if there were special forces on the ground in Ukraine, U.S. special forces, NATO special forces, uh, would that be perceived by Russian President Putin as further provocation? No doubt. You know, you know, Putin, of course, has been pushing the envelope on, you know, what he accuses NATO of doing. He He's already incredibly upset uh, about, you know, the arming of the Ukrainians, which, of course, has made the difference in that war. Uh, and you saw, you know, the demonstration of uh, what they didn't want revealed when that drone was shot down over the Black Sea. Uh, you've seen a host of other activities, such as putting... Uh, allegedly nuclear-capable missiles in Belarus. Uh, You've seen other provocations, even in the Far East, by the Russians because of our allegiance with the Japanese and the South Koreans and the like. So geopolitically and military-to-military, you're going to see these types of things uh, continue. So I'm not surprised at all that there are reports of that. Now, whether or not, and keep in mind, they're they're not going to be if there are U.S. forces, and I don't know, but if there are U.S. forces or British forces or Canadian special forces, uh, they're not going to be boasting the, the flag of that country on their helmets. Uh, so it's often very difficult to know. Uh, final question, Bob, and that has has to do with uh, casualties uh, that were revealed in these documents, if true. It looks like um, the the Ukrainian casualties are something on the order of four times the uh, the Russian casualties, 71,000 Ukrainian soldiers dead compared to 17,000 Russians dead. Um, this is sort of not necessarily the picture that was being painted uh, by NATO, by the Biden administration, by certainly by the, the mainstream media. Your thoughts? No, I, I agree with you. Um, now, of course, the allegation is those figures are doctored. Um, there are some independent organizations out there, Richard, that uh, can validate uh, what the true numbers are approximately. I don't think uh, either nation is willing to surrender what the actual numbers are. Uh, but I, I tend to, having seen other uh, unclassified sources that indicate the Russians have, in fact, uh, realized some very significant numbers now, whether or not they're as much as what General Milley, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs, has said last November, which is well in excess of 100,000 for the Russians, I don't know. Um, you know, so you have to you know, really de- decide who you want to believe um, and try to 
you know, validate that with other sources. And there are some other sources. Uh, International Red Cross would be one. Uh, and there are a number of uh, independent organizations that do publish numbers. So, you know, we'll just have to, you know, kind of take that one and, you know, try to digest it as best as we can. Lieutenant Colonel Bob McGinnis, U.S. Army retired military analyst and author of Kings of the East, China's plan to eliminate America and impose a communist world order and give me liberty, not Marxism, both available at Amazon. Uh, Bob, thank you as always. Thank you, Richard. Have a great day. You too. All right. When we come back, Harrison Faulkner on the uh, Canadian students rejecting a drag queen event at a Toronto high school. That story's next on the Richard Serrett Show right after these. The Bull Session continues on The Richard Serrett Show. News Talk, Saga, 960 AM. All right, welcome back. Well, uh, once again, today is the International Day of Pink, a uh, worldwide anti-bullying and anti-homophobia event held uh, annually during the second week of April, not to be confused with Pink Shirt Day. Uh, which is also seeking to end all bullying everywhere around the world, except, of course, in public schools, where if you don't get on side, put on a pink shirt and uh, state your pronouns, you're probably a transphobe and a homophobe, uh, according to at least uh, one email that was sent to, to a Toronto high school uh, yesterday. Uh, but as it turns out, not all Canadian students, despite the indoctrination, that they're subjected to. Not all Canadian students are in lockstep on uh, the issue. In fact, at one uh, Toronto high school, they um, students rose up and protested a drag queen event. Harrison Faulkner is the host of Ratioed, co-host of Fake News Friday on uh, TNC.News, True North. And uh, we welcome Harrison to the program once again. Hey, Harrison, how are you? Pretty good, Richard. How are you? Very well, thank you. So this um, this... Uh, protest took place at uh, York Mills Collegiate Institute, which is uh, in Toronto on uh, York Mills and I guess uh, just west of Don Mills, between Don Mills and Leslie. Um, what, what happened? Right. So there, as you mentioned at the beginning, Richard, there was a International Day of Pink event being hosted by TDSB. They had chosen York Mills Collegiate Institute as their sort of host venue. And performing at this International Day of Pink was a drag queen that goes by the stage name Isis Couture. Along with this drag queen, the uh, the deputy mayor, Jennifer McKelvey, the Toronto police LGBTQ liaison officer was there along with Colleen Russell Rollins, who's the TDSB education chair. So they really brought out all the all the big guns for this event, Richard, including a drag queen to dance in front of these students. Um, while there was a group of students, a group of high school students, um, led by a group called Save Canada, which are uh, is sort of a nonprofit charity organization that has been basically organized to oppose this radical gender ideology, which is in, which includes these bizarre drag queen performances in schools. Anyway, they organized a protest outside of the school and it managed to get all the attention. Almost all the students at this school went outside and joined in on this protest and let it be known that they are just not really interested, understandably so, at having a drag queen dance in front of them. Usually that stuff is reserved for 19 plus bars. 
Right. Yeah. Um, and the safe candidate you mentioned, this is um, is this jo- this is Josh Alexander's uh, organization, right? This is the young uh, high school, Catholic high school student up in uh, in Ottawa who was suspended um, basically for standing up for uh, some some female students at his school who felt unsafe uh, and and very uncomfortable in their washrooms because of the presence of, uh, well, basically biological males who were allowed into their washrooms. Right. That's it. So uh, Josh Alexander became sort of a viral hit in Canada and even in the United States for uh, proclaiming the truth that there are only two genders that males cannot go into female bathrooms. That's not how you that's just not what we do here. And because of that, he was expelled and arrested from his school. And I think that was the that was sort of the motivation behind creating this group, Save Canada, which, in my opinion, has done it's a group of high school students. They've done more to stand up for uh, for students, for girls in school um, and against this radical push to try and normalize very bizarre behavior in schools. They've done a lot more than any politician. That's for sure. um, In either the provincial legislature or in uh, in Ottawa. Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. That's true. I mean, the Conservative Party of Canada have been, have been absolutely silent yep. uh, on on this issue. Absolutely silent. What was the reaction from the, the faculty support staff at York Mills Colleg- uh, Collegiate uh, when they saw all of these students? And I, I'm just looking at a, a picture on your your story at TNC.News, and I don't know I don't know how many students were involved in the protest, uh, maybe a hundred, maybe more, you'll tell me, but what was the reaction from the, the faculty when they saw the students protesting? Well, I think it was a bit of a gut punch for them, Richard, because I think that these teachers, they end up kind of living in their own world amongst themselves. I think if anyone knows or reads any of these stories coming out of schools these days, they just are, they, they end up scratching their head and thinking, how did it go? How did, how did all of, how did schools become so different than when I was at school? Um, these teachers really believe in a lot of this stuff. They really do believe in this radical gender ideology. And it's a and it's a very rare thing, I think, when these teachers are faced with the reality that these students just don't buy it. And I think a lot of the time these students are afraid to say, you know what, teacher, I think that you're completely offside on this. Um, I think a lot of these students are afraid to say that out loud. But it was it was this sort of opportunity for them to show that actually, yeah, they're completely not on board with this. 
And that, Richard, goes fully against the narrative that the media are trying to push, that media and even the government are trying to push, that the young generation is on side with this sort of thing. The youth believe in in the idea that there can be multiple genders, that you can be you can identify any way you want. And this really bizarre stuff from what I saw, the teachers, in fact, one teacher I interacted with um, believed that the group organizing the protests were racist. And when I confronted that teacher about what she was saying to other students, she said that she 100% stands by that statement, but won't talk to any cameras and won't talk to any independent media. So again, it's just one of those examples that these teachers, I think, were pretty devastated to realize that the students who they think are on their side are really on the side of common sense and not not on board with this radical ideology. Right. And again, the irony on... uh... Uh, the International Day of Pink and Pink Shirt Day, which purports to, uh, you know, take a stand against bullying. It seems like the only bullying or much of the bullying is taking place on the part of uh, uh, high school teachers and support staff uh, who are telling students, get in line, wear a pink shirt, uh, pronounce your pronouns or else. Uh, we'll take a quick time out. Harrison Faulkner stays with us, host of Ratioed and co-host of Fake News Friday on True North, TNC.news, TNC.news, support independent media. Back with more of our conversation in three minutes. Just having a little chin wag on the Richard Serrett Show. News Talk, Saga, 960 AM. Welcome back. Just a reminder, coming up next, we'll have uh, an update on the Busty Lemieux saga with uh, David Menzies from Rebel News. This is uh, the former high school teacher at Trafalgar High School in Oakville, uh, taught a, a class in woodworking. A uh, biological male dressed as a woman with size Z novelty uh, prosthetics breasts uh, and um, no longer teaching there. And now... Well, we'll get this update from uh, David Menzies, but uh, Busty Lemieux has been exposed in a manner of speaking. Right now, Harrison Walk- uh, Faulkner stays with us, co-host or sorry, host of Ratioed and co-host of Fake News Friday uh, on TNC.news. That's True North. Um, I, w- I mentioned the Busty Lemieux story, uh, Harrison. Um, Obviously, the uh, the Halton Region uh, School Board is going to have to make a decision on on this uh, fellow. Now he's on, I believe, on paid leave. Uh, so we've got that story brewing, and they've got a school board meeting coming up. I think on the nineteenth, if I'm not mistaken. We have students now protesting uh, these drag queen events at a high school. Do you get the sense that maybe finally the tide is turning on on this, or is that just wishful thinking on my part? Well, the tide the tide is turning in the sense that. The common non-political people, non-politicians have just had enough and they're just deciding that, well, they can't really they can't really rely on uh, whether it be the education minister who claims to be a conservative. They can't really rely on anyone in federal parliament either. So they've decided to protest. And I think rightfully so at at a certain point, uh, especially if you're an Oakville Trafalgar High School student or a parent of a student at that school, you know, you you really have no other option than to protest and try and go to these school board meetings. The unfortunate thing is that I I just don't see how there is serious change until people who are in charge of education actually they either get replaced by uh, people who are parents who are willing to make a change, or the politicians in the provincial level who oversee education finally take this stuff seriously. I think the madness has gone on for too long, Richard in Ontario schools. 
And again, we're talking about a, a student protest uh, at York Mills Collegiate Institute in Toronto. They were protesting a, uh, a drag queen um, event at the school on the International Day of Pink. Um, were there any parents uh, involved in the protest or were you able to speak to any parents of these students? Yep, I was. I was able to speak to a few parents and one mother um, makes it into my report, which is up now on TNC.news. And, you know, these parents, whether they, they one, the parent that I did speak to didn't have a child at the uh, at York Mills Collegiate Institute, but has been very concerned about these uh, these these drag queen story hours, these drag events, the as you mentioned earlier, Richard, forcing students to adopt pronouns, which, again, is just completely bizarre. It's just not normal. Um, it's not the kind of education that the parents got to experience in this province. That's for sure. And yeah, these parents, they are speaking up and they are showing up at these protests. But I do think that the fact that the protest was organized by a group of high school students speaks volumes to where we're at right now and sort of the, the willingness on behalf of adults who should be taking this fight to the school boards. It's, it speaks to their willingness or lack or lack of willingness to really get in the fight. Uh, were any students in the protest, were they concerned uh, Did they express any concern that they may face, I don't know, some kind of retribution from the uh, school officials, like, I don't know, a suspension or maybe some sort of intimidation? Will they be sent to a reeducation camp? Well, there were certainly many students who I spoke with who told me they didn't want to get be on camera. Um, and that is understandable. They've they've seen plenty of examples to realize that speaking out against the stuff is dangerous for their own education, pros, educational prospects and for their future job prospects. But I have to say that the the young teenagers that were a part of this protest who were willing to speak up about this, they even told me after saying that they wanted to be on camera and have their voices heard. They said that it is dangerous for them to speak up. It is it is concerning for them that they could they could face potential punishment down the line, but that it's just gone on too far. And at a certain point, they're the ones that have to speak up. It's a shame that it's, it has to be these young students, the people that actually could face punishment for this. Um, but I but I have to commend the bravery of these young this young generation who have just had enough and are willing to put away, put aside the caution or the concern about being uh, facing punishment and just speak up. It's it, it really is. Uh, it, it was sort of it was an uplifting experience yesterday. I have to tell you to see that young students are just done with this nonsense. Uh, and just a reminder for people just tuning in, uh, we're not talking about Hong Kong students protesting communist China. This is taking place right here in the city of Toronto, where um, high school students at York Mills Collegiate uh, protesting a drag queen event, basically foisted upon them. Um, Harrison, how do we uh, watch Ratioed and Fake News Friday? You can watch Ratioed every Monday and Thursday at 6.30 p.m. Eastern on YouTube, Facebook, all the social media platforms, including Rumble. You can find us at tnc.news, or you can find me on Twitter by searching up Harrison Faulkner. And uh, all my video links will be posted there. Fake News Friday is is on, as the name suggests, on every Friday at the same location on the same platforms on TNC.news. Terrific. It's an appointment tune for sure. Harrison, great work as always. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Harrison Faulkner, TNC.news, support independent media. All right, when we come back, David Menzies, Rebel News, and a uh, an update on the Busty Lemieux saga. Stay with us.
Let's rejoin the conversation on The Richard Serrett Show on News Talk Saga 960 AM. A very interesting update on the case of the former Oakville Trafalgar High School controversial trans teacher. And I put trans in quotes because, well, we're not really sure what is going on inside the mind of one Kayla Lemieux. And uh, here is the mission specialist from Rebel News himself, the Menzoid, David Menzies. Hey, David, how are you? Oh, I'm great, Richard. A pleasure to be with you, as always. Let's just back up before we get to the actual update. Kayla Lemieux was teaching woodworking shop, wearing a wig, wearing a very tight fitting sweater, a tight fitting leather miniskirt, and of course the novelty sized Zed artificial breasts. There was an uproar. You went to a number of meetings at the Halton Region School Board. A number of parents started protesting, students started protesting. Lemieux was removed from Trafalgar High School and I believe was teaching part time at other schools. And then a New York Post article came out. revealing that Busty Lemieux was seen in regular male street attire minus the novelty-sized breasts. That's where we kind of left off with this story. What what can you add? That's right, uh, Richard. Several weeks ago when that New York Post article came out, they subsequently got an exclusive interview with Lemieux, and Lemieux delivered a bombshell, Richard. First of all, he said, That photo of that male person, that's not me. They said, who is it? He says, oh, it's too personal. I don't want to get him involved. Secondly, the even bigger bombshell was my breasts are not fake props. They are not made in China silicone blobs. They are my actual breasts. I started developing at the age of 39. I have a rare medical condition. So rare, in fact, uh, Richard, that according to the Cleveland Clinic, 300 women are afflicted with this. This is enormous breast growth, but these are 100% 100% biological woman. So <laughs> Lemieux is the statistical anomaly that he is a male afflicted with this. So he says, I can't take them off. Well, the Halton District School Board, the rubes there, were so grateful for this expose, Richard, because they said, well, uh, I mean, they didn't say it, but this is what they're thinking. Look, if these are his real breasts, we can't fire or discipline somebody for you know having enormous breast growth. It would be akin to having a disabled teacher in a wheelchair and us telling that person uh, we're firing you because you're disabled. So, okay, if that's the situation, and by the way, at this point, Richard, several weeks ago, Lemieux, after Plan B didn't work out of shuffling him around Halton District schools like a -a whack-a-mole, the school board hoping nobody would notice his Z-cup breasts, uh, that strategy failed. So they just said, please just go home and collect your full paycheck and benefits. So the most recent update, what we uncovered last week is, and we were watching for this guy in Burlington and our patience and due diligence paid off. Lemieux went to Maple View Mall as a male. And we waited for him to come out of the mall. He suspected something was up. I'll give him credit for his spidey senses. Because what he did, Richard, was he abandoned his vehicle and called an Uber to get back. And Richard, I got to tell you, in my 40-odd year career as a journalist, I never thought I would ever ask this question, which was, sir, where are your breasts? (laughs) (laughs) A first. 
<laughs> that's a that's a new one for me. And he ran into the Uber. He covered his face in shame. I hung around the mall for several more hours. The car was just abandoned. I assume he's either picked it up or had it towed to his condominium. But when you think of it, Richard, this is what the Halton District School Board should have done. They should have hired a private eye. And they should have caught Lemieux in boobless form and not believe the outrageous nonsense that these breasts were real. Because now, Richard, now that we've exposed that and we've given the Halton District School Board and the Ministry of Education the proof, the video evidence, they can fire him with cause. He lied to his employers. Those were not real memory glands. It was a prop. And I got to add this, Richard. A lot of people on social media, they say, oh, Rebel News, um, you know, you've got it so wrong. This is a cosmic troll. He's taking a shot at wokeness. Well, Richard, I can tell you two days ago, we had a viewer send in photos of Busty Lemieux. They were dated June of 2017. So almost six years ago, he was wearing this stuff. This is no practical joke. That was something that I think that both of us kind of considered at one point that maybe he was trying to embarrass the Holton Region School Board by making a mockery of women, of course, but also making a mockery of this whole transgender situation because Holton school board trustees are so woke they were hoist on their own petard they were backed they backed themselves into a corner here and had to defend him even though i mean this was just absurd it is absurd and yes that was one of two possible uh, outcomes that this was a prank or this is someone's uh, suffering from sexual perversion one thing we know for sure richard this is not a genuine male to female transition people in that community are doing everything they can to blend in as a member of the opposite sex not to come across as some grotesque caricature of a female when you went to burlington i'm, I'm not asking you obviously to, to um, identify your sources how did you know that Lemieux would be there and how were you able to identify him? It was good old fashioned shoe leather journalism, uh, Richard. It was several days, countless hours of us in a position near his condominium. We know where he lives. And all we had to do was wait for his car. We know what make, model he drives. We know his license plate number. And by the way, if Lemieux is going to play the game, oh, no, that's not me. Well, you know, if anyone wants to run the license plate number, you will find that that car is registered to him. If not, he's got a hell of a defamation suit against us. But no, we caught him red-handed Richard and like I said by the way that's what the New York Post did as well they hired a local Toronto area photographer and they spent countless hours but this school board they just are the most stubborn woke idiots I have ever come across I also reached out in the aftermath Richard to the Ministry of Education and poor Stephen Lecce he now resembles a professional wrestling referee, you know, when you catch the bad guy with the foreign object. So Lecce's there going, now listen, Halton District School Board, I've warned you 13 times to implement a dress code. And if you don't do it, I'm going to warn you a 14th time. He is useless. He has the power to disband this rogue out of control school board, and he won't do it. So now the question is, now that it's, I guess, day six since Lemieux has been outed, what is going to happen? I can tell you, Richard, the next school board meeting, I think, is April 19th. If they don't address it then, and they probably won't because they pray this will go away, but they must address it then. And I think they have every right to say, you deceived us. 
You said this was a medical condition. These breasts are not real. We have the video evidence. Goodbye, Mr. Lemieux. Don't bother us anymore. All right. Well, great work. Great journalism, David. Appreciate uh, you giving us this important update, and uh, we'll look forward to that Halton Region School Board meeting with great interest. Yeah, thank you, Richard. I will, as always, keep you abreast of things. (laughs) The Menzoid, David Menzies, Rebel News Mission Specialist and co-host of The Daily Roundup. How do we listen to The Daily Roundup and watch? Yes, uh, you can tune in to the rebelnews.com site, Richard. Every Monday to Friday, 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, I typically co-host it with another Rebel News personality. And if you uh, contribute a $5 Super Chat, uh, you get to get your comment read on air. We love interacting with our audience. So thank you very much for that plug. Great work, David. All right. All the best. Talk again soon. Thank you, sir. All right. Uh, that's it for me. My uh, special thanks to Jody, Declan, Jacob, and Money. Money, 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 money. Now, I'm off tomorrow for Orthodox Good Friday. So wishing all of uh, my Orthodox friends, family, and uh, listeners, Kala uh, Anastasi, a good resurrection. And Kalo uh, Pasca, good Easter, happy Easter. But please tune in at 4 p.m. tomorrow for a best of the Richard Saracho presentation. And I'll be back next week to do it all over again, God willing. I'll speak with you next Monday at 4 p.m. Don't be late. Until then, I remain unbowed, unbent, unbroken. That's it. That's all. For more Richard Serrett Show, podcasts, blogs, and other stuff, go to saga960am.ca. Stop talking past each other and start talking with each other. We'll see you tomorrow afternoon at 4 on The Richard Serrett Show on News Talk, Saga960am. Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and overpolicing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy.